And welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and I've got a co-host with me today, which many of you will recognize from this very show, Mark Stiving. Hello, Mark. Hey, Rebecca. It is so good to be here with you again today. It's great to have you. For those of you who don't know, uh, Mark is a pricing expert, pragmatic marketing instructor, and soon-to-be certified pilot. That's scary. Yes. For everyone on the ground and in the air, it's slightly frightening. (laughs) But as you said today, you haven't crashed yet. So I haven't crashed yet. That's all I care about. So what are we going to talk about today, Rebecca? Okay, today we are going to talk about win-loss, Mark, which is one of my favorite topics, one that I find one of the most powerful things we teach, and yet one of the, the, the things that our survey consistently shows the smallest percent of our audience actually does. And you know what's fascinating about that is that you and I have talked about win-loss a couple times now, I think. We talked about it in eating your own dog food, and I'm, there was another time we chatted about it. I don't recall what it was, but I know we talk about it a lot, and, and yet... Today, we're going to have an expert mm-hmm. with us, someone who really knows win-loss. Won't just be us making stuff up. No, no, no. <laughs> <We've>... <laughs> Although, Mark, do you have experience in your career with win-loss? I've never had a formal win-loss program, although once I started teaching for Pragmatic, I find it fascinating that after when I'm coaching someone, an, an entrepreneur, someone who's starting a business, I find it absolutely fascinating to talk with them about doing win-loss, and uh, I, I haven't sat on the call with them yet, but this is going to be fascinating to learn from Todd today. That's right. And today, in fact, we don't have to rely on our war stories and mistakes. We've got someone with a ton of experience in this area, Todd Middlebrook. Now, before Todd joined Pragmatic Marketing as an instructor, he led and supported one of Microsoft's most effective sales teams. And of course, that meant leading the charge and inheriting their win-loss efforts. So that's what Todd is going to talk to us about today. Hello, Todd. Hello. Good to be here, guys. Great to have you. There's a rumor that you assaulted Steve Ballmer. Well, I have to say that my attorneys have advised me <laughs> not to comment on that situation until litigation is complete. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, that, that, that does kind of imply intent, doesn't it? Yeah, the way you phrase that. But uh, how about I accidentally uh, had to interact? So I, I was at Microsoft for 10 years. And uh, as you guys said, I eventually was a leader in one of the departments that they called EPG Compete. And for a period of time, uh, they were they destroyed one of the buildings and they were looking where to put us and they were looking for spare office space. And for a period of time, I worked in the executive briefing center building. You know, big companies like Oracle and Microsoft oh. and things, basically like, you know, 20, 30 you know, nice conference rooms and uh, catering spaces. You know, Mark, places that you and I are well acquainted with as instructors. And so, uh, yeah, I sat there and my wife was picking me up that day. And uh, in order to get to the front door, you basically had to walk around all of these conference rooms. And it was a big, long way, but there was a shortcut. It was a catering hall that bisected, went right through the middle of the building. And so my wife calls me and you know, tells me to hurry. So I pack up my stuff and I go through this catering hall and I get to the last door right before the, the, the lobby, and I'm in a hurry, and I 
hit the door really quick and it goes, you know, flies open. And I notice immediately that I've made contact with a human body. And as I kind of, you know, opened up my eyes and realized what was going on, I saw a bunch of very typical tourists. There were a bunch of gentlemen in suits and, and cameras looking at me. But then I turned to look, try to figure out who it was I'd hit. And there is Steve Ballmer. <laughs> and as you know, he is uh, follically challenged. And, uh, <laughs> and I looked, and his head was beat red in anger. <laughs> And I was, I had only been at the company, I think maybe four or five months. And my first thought was to look down at my badge to see if my badge was visible. And <laughs> thank God my badge was facing my body. And so I just very quickly apologized, backed out, ran back to where I came like a scared child, ran all the way around the building. And then flagged my wife down, and as she pulled up, I jumped in the car like I just robbed a bank. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward nine years, and uh, one of my last big meetings I attended, uh, I was riding down an escalator, and there was a guy in front of me, and he, he turned around and looked up at me, and I realized it's Steve Ballmer, who's famous for never forgetting a face. <laughs> And so I'm looking in the eyes like, oh, does he recognize me? But nope, he didn't. So anyway, that is my, that is my, you might say, brush with the famous. Wow. <laughs> Long story. When one door opens, luckily nobody else was there to close it. And yes. That's right. All right. So when you did uh, join Microsoft and you eventually had the sales team, I know that you inherited a win-loss program. Can you talk us through what that was about? Blake? Yeah, so Microsoft, uh, like many big companies, had hired a, a COO, chief operating officer, who was all into operational efficiency. And when he came in, he introduced a win-loss in order to, you know, to drive sales improvement. And so uh, invested in win-loss tools, uh, templates. I know that they had, they'd created a classification system to uh, you know, to account for, you know, why did we win different ways, you know, feature function, uh, you know, sales execution, uh, why did we lose similar criteria? And they've been doing that for a while uh, when my team was created, which was later called EPG Compete, which is stood for Enterprise Partner Group. Uh, and a little thing is the uh, the P was silent, you know, you know, the word pneumonia, you know, the P is mm -hmm. So enterprise partner group, we didn't really care about partners. So bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and what happened is uh, they were making the sales teams, of course, do their own win-loss analysis. And if you've ever been in involved in that, they were calling you know, the, the buyer at the end and they had an incredibly low response rate. Very few of their buyers would come back and do a loss review with them. And uh, you know, as you can imagine, more did the win reviews. But all in all, we basically had a, a, a large number of win-loss reviews done across the world that resulted in these wonderful pie charts, you know, top 10 reasons we win, top uh, 10 reasons we lose. Only problem is nobody could talk to the, the charts. 
by you know feature function top you know or actually less than 10% of the losses eventually ended up being around feature and function but uh, they'd be like okay well what are the what are the features we're missing or why are the features that we're winning and of course nobody could speak to it because it really was driven as a quantitative exercise and we nobody had enough of the details to be able to talk to it and so go ahead Todd, who who made the calls at that point? Was it the salesperson who was on the account made the call? Yes, it was the account manager. Uh, and on occasion, we had a technical sales role that was a sales support role. Typically, a, a technical seller would get assigned. You know, in some companies, they call these SEs, yep. sales engineers. Uh, on occasion, they would conduct the win-loss review. But most of the time, it was the the lead salesperson. Boy, those are just great stories on why we teach the salesperson, or if you are even involved in the sales process, you shouldn't go out and do win-loss. It's very, very true. Uh, and, you know, I like so many things in my life, <laughs> I think, you know, what we ultimately learned was a result of a lot of pain, a lot of beating our heads against the wall, yeah, starting with having the sales organization lead it. And I think it was through dissatisfaction uh, of what we were getting that eventually my team, and I had two sister teams that uh, did it for different technologies. I was responsible for all of the infrastructure products, like Windows Server, uh, the virtualization products, et cetera. So they assigned us win-loss reviews uh, to be conducted you know, on, uh, on behalf of the sales organization. But even that was flawed. Uh, our first stab at this is we were calling the account managers or the technical salespeople and conducting the win-loss review by interviewing them. Oh. You want to guess what that was like? <laughs> but it was yeah. always the product. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to say, uh, at first, uh, they were not really hip on us doing this. They're, we got a lot of pushback. We were smart enough to get buy-in from the sales leadership to say, you know, you must participate in these win-loss reviews. But I got to tell you what we mostly uh, ran into, I think, was the salespeople felt like we were not evaluating the buyers or the what happened in the account. They felt like they were being personally evaluated. Another and, one. Absolutely. Another one we teach in class. Yep. And it is so true that uh, yeah, even if they you know would accept an appointment, uh, I... T I I tell you, humans in their capacity to procrastinate and delay, incredible. They would schedule, and then, of course, all you have to do is say, really important customer meeting has popped up. And uh, yeah, I would say, just going on anecdotal uh, evidence in my, my poor memory, I would say that less than 50% of them actually occurred, always got delayed for some reason, another 50%. So, uh, yeah, and that's uh, through all that pain. And by the way, what I just described was probably three years of being involved in this for five years. So we did it wrong for a long time. Wrong for us, at least. Say, so when you decided that this was wrong, right, and you were going to reach out, well, how did how did that come about? Well, what was sort of your epiphany? Like, oh, I should do this differently. I'd say it came back to, again, the the data. We didn't have enough data. We we had a, a, a lot of content, but we didn't have a lot of information. Mm. 
And we were, you know, the consumers of our, our data went beyond the sales organization by this point. Of course, the what we call the business groups, the the ones who own the individual products, they wanted to integrate our content into their monthly, quarterly, and annual reviews. But this time, instead of having salespeople that couldn't speak to the content, we couldn't speak to the content. Uh, you know, we we were conducting them, but we were asking the wrong person. And you're absolutely right. Uh, what we were hearing was the product's not right or the price isn't right, but like could not get enough context to really understand the situation. So I'll tell you, you know, humans change when there's enough pain. <laughs> and when you're sitting in front of, uh, you know, senior executives and you're presenting data and you can't really talk to that, it made us really look and become introspective and try to diagnose, you know, why, are, why can't we do this? And we decided, well, we need to go to the source of the material. We don't go to the middleman or woman, the salesperson. Let's go directly to the buyer. Of course, we didn't think of it that way at the time, but, uh, you know, we, we needed to get in there and uh, get it directly from them. What was the pushback like from the sales team once you started that process? Well, they were not uh, particularly excited for the same reason uh, they didn't like conducting the win-loss reviews directly with us. And it took us quite a while to realize, you know, that ultimately they were worried about personal criticism and we needed to get buy-in from sales leadership. But they were, when it was conducting the win-loss review with their salespeople, sales leadership was willing, but when we, positioned it as we wanted to conduct it without their sales team being engaged, a new wall went up. And it took us a while to figure out that sales leadership is frightened of the same thing that an individual salesperson is frightened of. That is, you know, a salesperson doesn't want to look bad. Well, sales leadership doesn't want their sales organization to look bad to the rest of the organization. And so once we realized that, Going back to what is it we're trying to learn? What is it we're trying to change? And it, by the title of my group, EPG Compete, you, you can probably realize that we were very much interested in finding competitive advantage in our products. And that's why it made sense for the organization to give it to us. And so when we realized that we, we wanted to understand the competition, our position in the market more broadly, we realized it's not about the individual salesperson or the sales engagement. In fact, what the, the, you know, the type of win-loss reviews that they were conducting of themselves is not what we were wanting to do. So we had to correctly position and explain what we wanted to learn. And I'll just put it in real practical terms. At the end of the day, we had to promise that we weren't going to make the sales org look bad. And the sales reps had to know that they were never going to look bad. We wanted to understand in the aggregate, you know, like we teach in our classes, we wanted to understand the patterns. We didn't understand our buyers. We wanted to understand the, the patterns of our engagement with the different competitors. And, you know, that SWOT-like analysis of understanding their strengths and our weaknesses, et cetera. Uh, once we were able to kind of you might say, you know, carrot or stick. We took away any fear of a stick, but even then it wasn't enough. We had to figure out, well, what is the carrot? What's in it for them? 
Why, why do they want somebody else to conduct a win-loss review? And, you know, at the end of the day, it was about making them more effective, right? If we could understand our buyers, understand our competitors, understand their buying cycles better, it would ultimately impact the content that we were giving them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, was that a big sales pitch you put on the sales force in order to be able to go do that? Ultimately, it was. And it was one that uh, ultimately I couldn't do at my level. Uh, at this point, I'd gone from an individual contributor to a director. But we were really talking about getting buy-in of sales VPs. So yeah. we had to sell that positioning and, and <laughs> You know, and uh, the willingness to advocate for this. We had to sell it within our own organization and have ultimately our general managers go sell that and have that conversation with the the, the sales leadership. Because we were an independent organization. We did not sit in the beat the business groups. We did not sit actually in sales. We were intended to not be biased. Biased to product or biased to sales. Mm-hmm. A couple other hints that I usually teach when I'm teaching when loss and how you get the sales channel to give you permission to go do this, which is obviously a really big deal, is number one, do wins only, not start with losses. And then number two, see if you can find at least one salesperson that's friendly that would let you go do this so that you could try it and show it and not mention the salesperson's name when you come back and write it up. You know what? That is a great teaching point. And uh, with your permission, I'm going to plagiarize that when I teach. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I was not an intentional thing, Mark, but that's exactly what we did because we thought you've got to be able to demonstrate some value. And so we went and conducted our style of win-loss review. And we, we got, you know, we all do this. If you work with uh, field teams, eventually you make friends and uh, made a friend and we did a couple of win-loss reviews and distilled it up to the type of content we were actually wanting to deliver. And it had nothing to do with the salesperson did this, delivered that. It was what did we, what patterns did we recognize? And when they saw that elevation, it took that stick, that fear out. And then we, you know, were able to then describe how we thought it was going to improve the tools that ultimately go into them. That is, you know, the sales tools. And at this point, most of the sales tools were coming from the, the, the business groups, the people who created the product. And the, if you know anything about Microsoft, it's an engineering led organization. And so these were decks that in our language, they were user decks. So all the content that was being created, whether it was data sheets, uh, the website content, or the PowerPoints and other tools that were being given to the sales team, they were all, what's, what new features are in our product? How do you use these features? And one of the biggest complaints that the, the business group had was, I don't know if you guys know this expression, but they, they found out that the field was, quote, rolling their own. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That is, they were creating their own content. Uh, you know, the, the, the teams were finding out these PowerPoint decks that they did not create and sanction that, this, that the field had been creating. 
And you want to guess why they were doing that? It worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, the content that they were being given did not enable them to have a sales buyer conversation. And so we believed, yeah, we, we referred to this. We referred to it in the, our pitch to the sales leadership. Your team is creating this content, uh, you know, out of necessity. We believe by doing this work, it will make them more effective. I actually want to pivot the conversation just a little bit. And uh, so we talked a lot about how you sell it internally to the sales team, and certainly that needed to happen. But then how did you sell it to the clients? How did you get them on the phone? <laughs> well, trying to get a win-loss interview, uh, it's different whether you're doing a win or a loss, right? I mean, for That's the obvious right. reason. Uh, everybody likes to celebrate a loss or a win. Gosh, it's like a new marriage, right? Everybody's kind of giddy and... Uh, <laughs> I love you, you love me, and you know, we gave them tchotchkes, they gave us money, right? So uh, those, those tend to be a little bit easier. Uh, but the loss reviews uh, are obviously the, the hard ones. And I, I would be very honest, that was the, the next major challenge for us. Really felt like we were you know, hitting our head against the wall. I would say the only the easiest loss review was probably the most ticked off competitor customer, one who was so passionate and why they did not pick us. But it was, you know, I think those were effective, but uh, it, it did not give us the, the scale that we were hoping. And again, we kind of had to distill out what what are their concerns? Why won't they do it? And very much like you know, many of our teaching points, what we, we came to the conclusion is that they were afraid. They were afraid that we were going to try to change their mind. Mm. And they, you know, if you, our, our appeals were in email, uh, in voicemail, follow up, and of course they wouldn't return our call. And it wasn't until we, we were very explicit in saying, we are not members of the sales organization. And we thought it was better to err on over, over playing that. So, you know, nothing you say will, you will go back directly to the sales organization. Uh, no salesperson will be following up with you. I mean, just beating that like a dead horse. And that was very, very helpful when they knew that we weren't a part of the, the sales org. And, uh, but there was still an, another kind of sub point to that is even if they believed us, I, there were some people that they didn't want to regret their decision. And that one was a little bit harder. Oh, to, interesting. Yeah. It's like, what if you, what if you talk to me and I realize I made the bad decision and I've already made a multi-million dollar purchase. And so uh, that one, we got, we got the first one, that first nut cracked, but that second nut was for that population, gosh, you know, how do I not make them regret a decision? And what we came upon is make it about them. We're not so much wanting to understand about our engagement with them. We're wanting to understand them. What were their key initiatives? What made you go shopping in the first place? Uh, 
when you make these type of decisions, who makes them? Who are the, the, the decision makers? Where do the budgets lie? Uh, what are your internal concerns? So it was very much a empathetic, we understand this about you, and then what worked about us, what didn't work about us. And, you know, that was a little bit more delicate. And, uh, but once we were able to really make it an empathetic exercise, that was, that was helpful. So what ratio do you think you got to in terms of, let's just talk about losses, the number of people you asked versus the number of people who said yes? (laughs) Uh, So there, there was a symptom of the problems I just described. Uh, we initially got a lot of people, uh, uh, I should say, a good percentage of people that did at least respond, but they would still say, you want to guess the number one uh, excuse why they couldn't do a loss review? Busy? Too busy. Too, too much time. Don't have enough time to do this. Very busy world. And let's be honest, that's a, that's a le- legitimate excuse. It's true. However, it's also often used as a, uh, a bit of a smokescreen. And, you know, that was the symptom that we eventually diagnosed to, you know, fear of changing my mind, fear that you're a salesperson, et cetera. But I do have a little trick, though, uh, to kind of uh, smoke that out. Uh, and that is asking for a short win-loss review. I never ask for more than 30 minutes. And even then, I'm willing to negotiate. I'm very <laughs> proud of this. My my all-time record was the person's like, nope, still don't have 30 minutes. How about 25? How about 15? Ultimately, I said, how about five minutes? Just give me five minutes. Now, this is obviously was on a on a phone call. And I'm like, you're even in negotiating this, you've spent more time negotiating whether you would do a win-loss review than what I'm asking you to do. Could you do five minutes just right now? And they, it's kind of funny because the person said, how on earth are you going to do a good loss review in five minutes? I thought it was very sweet. You know, them worrying about the quality of my. <laughs> I said, don't you worry about me. Can you spare the, can you spare another five minutes? And what I did is I spent time asking about them and I watched the time. And when five minutes hit, I went, oh, you said you would give me five minutes. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, and I was all ready to get off the call. And the person said, well, I can give you another 10 minutes. Because what I realized is they were afraid that I was going to try to sell them or change their mind. And the questions that I asked them were not the type of questions that a salesperson would have asked them. And so it kind of you know, relieved the concern. And although that was the most uh, you know, extreme five-minute request, uh, I had so many variants of that, but yeah. always very, very, uh, never more than 30 minutes and then always negotiate down. So Todd, I'm not sure if you're running for politics or not, but the question I asked was, did what percentage of those losses did you get yeses on? <laughs> I guess it's kind of like an ADD moment there too, right? <laughs> so, so ask it explicitly, what percentage of the losses did we actually get that we that we requested? Yeah, approximately, or guess. You know, I'm really proud of this number, uh, probably about 20%. So we did a lot of asking. Of course, we were dealing with a worldwide sales effort, so even that number was rather high. But we started to even throttle back our 
our expectations. For example, my team initially had a, a, a quarterly MBO or objective to do themselves 15 to 20 win-loss reviews per quarter. Because I, I initially was very much driving that, that I need high numbers. I need you know some statistically relevant sample size. Uh, but you know, so we we could get the numbers, but at, over time, I started to throttle that number down because uh, it really was about the quality of what we were getting, not the quantity. So I mean, I understand wanting to get as 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 many as possible to establish some trend, some patterns. But you know, if I could, uh, you know, speak to our listeners about you know any like one major key learning from this, it this is not a quantitative exercise. Yeah. It's not about those you know being able to create charts. It's really to understand your market, your buyers, what's going on, you know, with them. How do they make decisions? Uh, you know, are they are they cost conscious? Are they risk conscious? Uh, you know, try to really get into the psychology of them. And that's more about, you know, again, getting better at asking questions about them, not about just trying to drive some number of, of interviews that you can conduct. I always say I feel fortunate at Pragmatic Marketing because all of our clients know what win-loss is and know what we're trying to accomplish. I have a, a very nice <laughs> high response rate of people willing to see me. Uh, and it spoils me from where it was before, which I would have killed for a 20, 25% response rate on losses. Uh, but here, people are so generous with <laughs> their time, right? I think they want good karma points too, right? Like they wanna say yes, so that when they're asking someone, <laughs> well, it will be, a, they'll get those good points in return. Yeah, no, no for sure. The you know, the reception you're going to get is very much uh, tied up into the relationship that the company has uh, with that market and how what their experience was with you. But there was a subtle question that I'll, I'll go back to is you know, at the end of the day, why why do people want to conduct it and to conduct a, a loss review, especially? And the appeal is help us be better. Help us be better for you in the future, even if you didn't buy from us today. Help us to be a better vendor to understand you. Uh, you know, maybe you'll buy the next product from us. Todd, since losses are so hard to come by, getting the lost calls, there must be different information that you get from the losses that make it worth chasing. What what types of information from a really high level do you get on win calls versus loss calls? Even other organizations that I've I've worked with, you know, if you look at wins versus losses, people tend to emphasize losses. They tend to, you know, we want to know why we're losing and who we're losing against, and they're definitely valuable for that. Uh, and you know, we make a lot of assumptions about you know why we're so awesome, and <laughs> loss reviews can you know, definitely you know, reset our expectations. Uh, we found it to obviously be an incredibly powerful competitive tool. Uh, and, you know, trying, not just trying to teach our points here, but identifying not just the other vendors, but the, what in the mind of the, the customers, 
could be other alternatives. You know, I could just go hire a bunch of people instead of buying some tool from some vendor. But, you know, ultimately to really identify who the competitive landscape uh, really is or are and, you know, what, you know, what the SWOT is, what their strengths are, what uh, their weaknesses are, their opportunities out there, uh, threats, et cetera. Those patterns really came from the, the, the loss reviews. And then a little bit of that, uh, a little bit from loss, but as well as wins, is really using that opportunity, regardless of outcome, to get insight into them, to understand, you know, outside of this engagement, what, what else is going on? What are your big priorities? You know, what's next? And we were selling to large enterprise customers and mostly IT organizations. So now that you've, this initiative has been, you know, wrapped up, you're going to go into implementation. What's next? What's your next major priority? Uh, what's driving those priorities? And so we can get that from both loss reviews and win reviews. But a lot of people don't do as many uh, or don't put as much emphasis on win reviews. But as you said, they're easier to get. People love to celebrate it. And so, you know, they're more willing to participate. But even then, uh, they can be enlightening. Why people buy our products? Uh, what I've realized is we often think it's because our products are so great, but the features and functions of our products. But even when we started doing best practices, what we found is that the ultimately the reason why somebody bought our product less than 10% of the time had it had anything to do with the features and capabilities of the product. Instead, it was in our ability to sell and market to them. That is to talk to their pain, to be able to know, you know, have the right positioning for the right buyer audience and the content, uh, the sales uh, enablement, the sales training supported you know, having the right conversations with them. And, and it, we would look at those engagements and they're like, at the end of the day, you were able to demonstrate the value of your really getting into a relationship with you as a vendor. And yeah, there are times, obviously, you're gonna have to meet the, the technical decision maker uh, features and function. But, you know, most of the time, the, the reasoning came down to our ability to satisfy that we could deliver value to that buyer person. Yeah, and if I were to tie that into a point that we teach in the market class a lot, that is simply if you go do win-loss analysis, especially for your wins, all you're listening for is people to tell you why they bought your product so you can go out and repeat that to other people. Yeah. Seems pretty straightforward. And really, where what was that value perception? Where did it come from? And I, I bet that even could tie into our pricing. Huh, let me think about that. <laughs> hmm. Hmm, yeah, it kind of even still a part of that. How how few of us really know our distinctive competencies? Yeah, we we have a, make a lot of assumptions about why we're great, but when reviews are so powerful to say, no, really, why did I buy you? What you know, what secret sauce do you have? Uh, you know, and. That's, I teach the same thing in, uh, in foundations. Make sure if you don't feel like you know your distinctive competencies, go do a bunch of win reviews. Have them tell you. 
All right, guys, this has been amazing. And we've talked about a ton of different things on win-loss. If you were to each pick one thing that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Let's start with Mark. I think that one's really easy. I think people should go do win-loss analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Todd's like, why didn't you let me go first? (laughs) Todd, your turn. Okay, I'll modify it. Hey, do a win review. How's that? Oh, just get it started, right? Just get one done. Go do one. Just go do one. In fact, as, as you guys will know, we're actually in the midst, myself and another instructor, pragmatic market, doing some win-loss analysis. Not strictly losses, but where maybe people that we, we uh, have not engaged us as much as they used to in the past, and we're going through a dedicated exercise to really understand that buyer persona, and even, Rebecca, you were on the review call, even mm-hmm. one uh, review was a two-hour because two instructors did it at the same time that the amount of context that we were able to provide and you know the amount of discovery that we accidentally did ideas that we would have never thought of in pragmatic marketing we could do to make it easier for buyers to buy up the conflict the, the pain that they have internally even after they've decided it. the amount of insights that we've got we got just from that initial interview was so powerful so don't think numbers one two don't like loss reviews start with win reviews but yep mark's right just start by doing them all right thank you so much for joining us today todd it's been a pleasure having you likewise always good to have you too mark even if we don't talk about pricing i know that was hard for you No, and I even gave him a window. I know, I know. And then I muted him. I don't know what happened. But uh, all right. (laughs) That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your careers. Thanks. Thanks.